Alice Onlin and Herbert Konings are founding partners of Security Token Group. All opinions expressed by them or guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not represent the views of Security Token Group or its subsidiaries. You should not take any opinion expressed on the show as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow any investment strategy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Security Token Show. We're coming to you from our studio in sunny Miami, Florida. I'm your host, Herwick Konings, and with me, as always, is Kyle Sondland. Hey there, listeners. We've got another great show for you today, starting off with last week's industry news, followed by the newest security token offerings and a breakdown of the secondary market report. And then we're going to end our show on our main topic today, covering automated market makers, and decentralized exchanges, which is a topic that I personally am very passionate about. But before we get into all of that, we do need to, of course, thank our sponsor for making the Security Token Show possible. And that sponsor this week is INX. And if you didn't know, INX is the first ever SEC registered tokenized IPO. The company has filed with the SEC to allow for retail and accredited investor participation into a regulated exchange for cryptocurrencies, security tokens, and derivatives. The firm is currently in the midst of its own token sale, selling INX tokens directly, and has just announced its acquisition of STO platform Open Finance, who we certainly have covered many times here on the show. This is just the first offering of its kind as the firm has worked diligently with the SEC to allow for participation from investors all over the world, and the fundraise is currently live now. If you want to read more or do additional research on what the firm is building and how it might impact the traditional financial system, you can find out more information or invest directly through inx.co. Thanks, INX. We love our sponsors on the show here. And yes, Kyle, I also can't wait to dig into our main topic because automated market makers are an innovative solution. I think they have the potential to disrupt the concept of liquidity as we know it. But of course, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. We have, of course, at this time have to kick off the show with our Company of the Week Awards, where Kyle and I, we spotlight the two companies. Yeah, they're making the biggest moves in the space, at least last week. So tell us, Kyle, who did you pick? So my company of the week for episode 72 is Real Fund, which is a Barcelona-based real estate tokenization platform that is launching its first tokenized property in Spain. And the firm was selected by the Barcelona Free Zone Consortium as one of the most innovative and sustainable startups in Spain, aiming to offer new financing alternatives to real estate developers who do not have access to bank loans via security token technology. So the firm is structuring security tokens actually as debt instruments. And so they plan to issue 7,500 tokens with a value of 10 euros per token, aiming to raise 75,000 euros in order to remodel their targeted property. And so RAL funds will be self-custodied, meaning that you can own these tokens in your own wallet to use in DeFi applications or trade on any exchange that supports the underlying token technology, such as Uniswap or any of the other decentralized uh, exchanges that are growing in popularity around the world, some of which we're going to cover in this episode. And so following the blockchain hype around the project, the, the firm also took first place in the DeFi Madrid hackathon. So for their project or their progress rather in the security token space, as well as their local recognition as an innovator in fintech and blockchain, Rail Fund wins my company of the week for episode 72. 
Oh, it seems like an obvious winner here for winning a hackathon with this technology and then using it to build a whole business around. That's great for Spain as we now see them tokenize real estate as well. The real estate industry is growing incredibly quickly. Tokeniz tokenization happening around the world. I'd absolutely, say. absolutely. And how about you, Herwig? Well, my company of the week is none other than Flavtech out of Zug, Switzerland. Now, Flavtech is solving one of the industry's biggest problems, which is, of course, liquidity, as we were just talking about. Founded in 2018, Flavtech has built a fully automated market-making algorithm to facilitate liquidity across dozens of digital asset exchanges and for any token, they say. So relevant for our main topic, Flavtech recently raised a little bit more than $5 million to further expand on their vision. So you may remember a few months ago that the London-based secondary market Archax partnered up with Flavtech to use their technology. And in a press statement, Anton Galoub, who's Flavtech's CEO and co-founder, said, quote, liquidity is the missing piece in the digital asset ecosystem. And as the ecosystem continues to grow, it becomes a key challenge that exchanges and token issuers have to overcome. And by the way, listeners, it's worth mentioning that Anton also previously co-founded Like, that's L-Y-K-K-E, which is a Swiss company focused on financial infrastructure for marketplaces using blockchain and previously raised over $10 million. So I think Anton knows a thing or two about liquidity and blockchain technology. So for raising this money and making some traction as a liquidity provider in the security token industry, Floftech wins my company of the week, Kyle. This is a great one. I'm excited to dig into to more about how decentralized market making can work and what these kind of algorithmic styles, what that really looks like. I'm certainly, if you stick around to the end, you're going to hear a lot more about what that looks like and, and maybe can figure out where Flavtech is looking to assert itself. But awesome choice. Now let's get into the news. But before I do, I want to remind everyone that the articles we cover on this show, they're all sourced from stomarket.com slash news. And they're also available for reference in the about description of wherever you're listening to the podcast to. And always on the Security Token Show Medium blog, when you ever want to read into these articles themselves uh, on your own. Now kicking off our industry news from last week, we saw the SEC announce the spinoff and setup of a standalone new unit focused on innovation and financial technology. You see, back in 2018, the SEC established within the Division of Corporation Finance, the Strategic Hub for Innovation and Financial Technology, otherwise commonly more referred to as FinHub. And last Thursday, the SEC made it official that FinHub would spin out of the corporate finance division and become its own office within the SEC. So according to the SEC announcements on their website, they said, quote, designating FinHub as a standalone office strengthens the SEC's ability to continue fostering innovation in emerging technologies in our markets consistent with investor protection. The office will continue to lead the agency's work to identify and analyze emerging financial technologies affecting the future of the securities industry and engage with market participants as technologies develop. And FinHub, by the way, will continue to be led by Miss Valerie Shushtpenik, who I believe I said that right, hopefully, who has gained the praise, by the way, from SEC Chairman Jay Clayton and Corporate Finance Division Head Bill Hinman, both of whom we announced are retiring from the SEC in the previous two episodes. And obviously, I think it's a fantastic move by the SEC. Obviously, we need a dedicated division to fintech. So let's hope Valerie unites the blockchain transformation of capital markets properly here. And of this announcement, she says, quote, 
This organizational shift will facilitate the agency's agility and flexibility to work with market participants and regulators worldwide and to encourage leading edge innovation that will shape the intersection between the federal securities laws and technology. And she says the scope of FinHub, by the way, will continue to expand. So FinHub could easily potentially be working its way on blockchain-based you know, digital security solutions. And it's another name now to know within the SEC folks. And we'll be sure to look out for all things FinHub related and mention it on the show. So we've got FINRA and now FinHub. And so there's a, there's a bunch of different acronyms. Keep them together. You're going to hear from them a lot. And fin, FinHub is part of the SEC. FINRA is a self-regulating organization outside of the SEC that works in close tandem with the two. Important distinction. Moving into company announcements, we have a major accomplishment achieved by the Bank of International Settlement, Swiss National Bank, and the Swiss International Stock Exchange. So the partnership led to the successful experiment of testing a wholesale central bank digital currency, which is a CBDC. And the experiment, Project Helvetia, shows the feasibility of two proofs of concepts using near live systems to settle digital assets on a distributed ledger with central bank money. And it's said to set the stage for further joint experimentation to assess the impact of digital innovation on the future of the financial system. So essentially here, by issuing a wholesale CBDC onto a distributed digital asset platform and linking the digital asset platform to the existing wholesale payment system, the initiative demonstrated the feasibility and legal robustness of both alternatives in a near live setup, according to that BIS press release. So a full 38 page report is available for further reading for anyone interested. But the takeaway here is that CBDCs are continuing to be validated by major banks and market players. And speaking of banks, Russian banking giant so Rubabanku is launching a platform that will give users access to a range of digital assets in a move that could introduce digital currency and blockchain tech to the mass market there. So, you know, given that Russia's stance on cryptocurrencies are extremely strict and instead focused actually on promoting security tokens, this platform could be a big deal for Russian capital markets. The bank, which is state-owned and the largest bank in Russia, by the way, according to this article, the platform is said to be focused on offering security tokens representing digital securities of business ownership interests, as well as a stable coin called Zabura coin, and it's expected to launch in 2021. So Russia is clearly proving itself to be one of the faster countries to adopt security tokens and stable coins as a result of this announcement. And actually, a new bank entirely, the first digital bank, as it's called, is set to launch as a member of the Tel Aviv Stock Exchange, or the TACE. So at the end of the last year, the first digital bank received bank licensing, and now as a member of the TACE, the bank can offer services to its customers for, of course, trading and securities, including mutual funds on TACE and participation in offerings. The bank is supposedly also looking to be a member of the clearinghouse of the TACE. And Gal Bardea, CEO of First Digital Bank, said of this announcement, quote, by becoming a TASE member, the First Digital Bank is reinforcing the foundations for the variety of digital services that will be available to our customers. Our mission is to develop a whole new banking model that will encourage competition in the banking sector, not only in current accounts and credit, but also in securities trading services. The First Digital Bank will also offer innovative digital securities trading services, improve the accessibility of trading on TASE to the general public, and compete with the existing players and investment houses. So key word there, folks, is digital securities. It's a big deal and shows Israel's capital markets are also modernizing faster than most. However, it's worth noting, though, that the application still needs to be approved by TASE's board of directors, a formality I'm not sure we'll find out. 
And next up, an announcement from tokenization platform Dusk Network, which is serving the Benelux region to tokenize thousands of small and medium-sized businesses. So Benelux, that's Belgium, Netherlands, and Luxembourg, is home to thousands of private companies that aren't big enough, of course, to go public on the Dutch Stock Exchange. Dusk Network aims to fit that need, but even more so, they just made a partnership with the Dutch Stock Exchange to bridge the two worlds. So Dusk Network took a 10% share in the Nederlandse Participatie Exchange, it's the NPEX, which followed a partnership period where both companies developed pilot projects to further financial product innovation. So this is an effort by the NPEX to digitize and use security tokens to make it easier for private companies to raise capital. And that's a major, major accomplishment as Dust Network here is not only just tokenizing companies, but now they're becoming the back end of exchanges. So keep it up, Dusk. And we also have Swiss-based tokenization platform Mount Pellerin saying that they've teamed up with Ubiquity. Uh, the real estate blockchain startup will offer Mount Pellerin as a technology solution for its clients tokenizing their properties. That's a big win for Mount Pellerin. While Ubiquity, that's Ubiquity, becomes an interface for real estate tokenization across multiple jurisdictions now. So this partnership seems like a no-brainer. You love to see the industry working together. And Vertalo and Dealbox announced that they successfully moved their blockchain backend from Stellar to the Tezos blockchain. This means that the new tokens will leverage Tezos-based smart contracts and be recorded on the Tezos chain. Now, Kyle and I covered this topic of changing a security token's blockchain in episode 70. So if you want to learn more about that, check out that main topic clip on YouTube, where all our main topic segments are available to listen to. And of this move for Dealbox, it was two offerings specifically that changed their blockchain leveraging Vertalis platform, uh, which was Dealbox's own equity, as well as Total Network Services Corporation, which Kyle has covered in the past on the show. So according to Dave Hendricks, the CEO of Vertalo, they are working further with Dealbox to upgrade more of their clients to the Tezos blockchain, which he in the article is endorsing as a global leader in security tokens. And Arca Labs also made an announcement last week saying that they have more custody options for anyone buying Arca coins. So to me, this looks like actually the largest custody support announcement I've ever seen, where they are saying that they now have partnerships with Anchorage, Gemini, Koinu, Ledger, and Tokensoft, which of course Tokensoft was their tokenization partner. And custody option you know, support is very important in increasing the range and support for your investors uh, for the custody of their security tokens. So of course, this is a great move leading the way on how to best practices here, I think. So great job, Arca, on that. And one of the newest broker-dealers on the block in the U.S. here is Watchdog Capital, which is run by the outspoken Bruce Fenton. And while last week the SEC-registered firm partnered with Liquid Network, and the Liquid Network is a Bitcoin sidechain built by Blockstream, and it's operated by a, uh, by a federation of cryptocurrency companies and provides highly secure and scalable platform for the issuance of security tokens. So Watchdog Capital believes that Liquid Network architecture will appeal to a new category of issuers seeking a highly secure and scalable platform for the issuance of security tokens. And if you heard that right here, the interesting thing is, I think, the Liquid Network uses non-smart contracts-based native Bitcoin functionality to issue security tokens. So really neat. This is you know, where others are choosing Tezos and Ethereum. It looks like Bruce is going to remove the need for smart contracts and rely on Liquid Network's Bitcoin core code base. So looking forward to the first issuances on this new infrastructure there. And a major player early on pre-blockchain in the digitization of private securities 
was Carta, which has raised over $627 million to date since its founding in 2012. So although they have yet to introduce security tokens and instead offer software to manage cap tables on traditional centralized databases, the company has now announced that they are getting into the liquidity game too. So Carta X, as they call it, has no mention of supporting blockchain-based settlement and clearance, so we can expect this to be using traditional technical infrastructure. And according to the blog post by CEO Henry Ward, it seems the target is companies valued at at least half a billion dollars or higher, way higher than the threshold of valuation security tokens are kind of serving right now. So personally, I think Carta X may be missing out on two huge opportunities here. Of course, using blockchain, number one, and then number two, focusing on a smaller category. At the half billion dollar range, you are really competitive with the NASDAQ and the New York Stock Exchange. So this to me seems like Carta trying to be a private alternative to going public. But frankly, I think they are overvaluing their ability to provide liquidity more competitively than their incumbent competitors here. So companies that reign in that range should probably be seeking public registration anyway, in my opinion. But perhaps Carta X has some cards up their sleeve and know uh, the value the market is looking for. Regardless, this proves the point that the demand for liquidity in private markets continues to be validated and also that once you digitize a company, it does make it easier to provide potential liquidity. And the last company announcement I have is about the universal stable coin in the making for over two years now, and that is Libra, of course, you know, in an effort to scurry away from the Facebook control and regulator approval before launching, Libra is now rebranded to DM. That's D-I-E-M, and Calibra is now Novi. So and according to the article, the stablecoin should be launching imminently, though no dates are actually advertised. Let's see if rebranding, an age-old marketing trick, works to create new perception for the stablecoin. And last but not least, I have two resources for you to investigate further if your curiosity gets sparked, that is. The first one is from our own team at Security Token Advisors, the sister company of Security Token Market that provides consulting services to token issuers. We also try to provide useful lists of information for the industry, like our list of central bank digital currency projects, or a list of countries that have defined security tokens into their laws and regulations around the world. And our latest list is we've you know, produced a, a list of the banks in the top 100 largest banks in the world that are working on security tokens and blockchain applications. So the gist of it is that there are seven of the top 10 banks, that's a combined $20 trillion in assets under management, exploring blockchain applications and security tokens themselves. And to boot, of the top 139 of them are working on applications. That's more than a third since the concept was introduced barely three years ago. It's amazing stuff. Check out the full list whenever you want in the Security Token Advisors Medium blog. And thanks to Omar Faridi of Crowdfund Insider for providing a succinct summary and insight of the list. And finally, last week I mentioned that CurrencyWorks was chosen by FACT, that's Forensic Art Certification Technology Inc., to create a blockchain-based anti-forgery solution for art. CurrencyWorks is actually publicly traded on the OCT markets and on the Toronto Stock Exchange, so if you were interested in learning more about them, an article on Microcap Daily came out offering a nice review and a deeper dive into that company. And that's all the latest news for you all from last week, and that means it's time for Kyle to tell us what industry webinar events we got coming up. Great work, Herwig, as always. What a lot of company announcements this week. It really does seem like the industry just continues to scale. It's more active than ever. 
Now, like you said, let's dig right into those events. And the first one is from the Family Office Network events, digging into private market liquidity by leveraging security token technology. So it's featuring an all-star panel of executives from NASDAQ and KKR, in addition to the chief legal officer from T0 and a chair member of the Tezos Foundation. And the group is going to be digging into T0 specifically and how blockchain-based settlement solutions for security tokens can work and what the future promise is. So if you want to check that one out, tune into the day of publishing. It's going to be Tuesday, December 8th at 1 p.m. EST. I'm also going to see if we can find a subsequent video posted for future viewing if you don't quite make it. The other event coming up is this Friday, December 11th, covering tokenization solutions that can be leveraged for issuers all around the world. Moderated by Nicholas Weber from Amazing Blocks, he's actually going to be interviewing me on my perspectives on asset tokenization and how it can be utilized from it by issuers. So it's going to be a really fun chat, and I'd love to answer any questions that you might have on equity security tokens and blockchain technology. So certainly send anything in if you have any questions. And we're going to be chatting uh, Friday at 10.30 a.m. EST, so you can catch our chat. That's December 11th on Friday. And that's all the news and events that we have. But now you can, can remember, you can submit any industry news or events to stlmarket.com slash news so that we can get to it on the show. And without further ado, let's move right into security token offerings. So our only security token update is actually more of a cryptocurrency related piece of news than it is security token related. But I often see it mis miscommunications around this asset. And now we have news confirming the clarifications we made on the podcast nine to 12 months ago. And this announcement revolves around block Stack, which trailblazed through its successful filing of the first tokenized Reggae Plus fundraise. As you may know, Reggae Plus is a U.S. fundraising exemption that allows for an issuer to raise up to $50 million from all retail U.S. investors. In exchange for this ability, it is the strictest compliance and regulatory requirements, and it's very difficult to get improved, to get approved, frankly. However, Blockstack not only have received approval directly from the SEC to raise money via Reg A Plus for the first blockchain-based asset, but they shocked the world by successfully working language into the offering documents, suggesting that the fundraise vehicle, the Stacks token, might not actually be considered a security, and therefore it was not required to follow U.S. securities laws. And while this language was included in the offering documents, it was incredibly vague, and many believed that the level of, quote, sufficient decentralization, end quote, required might never be met. And therefore, the SEC was not actually providing Blockstack with anything more than an approval to fundraise for a compliant ICO that did follow securities laws. However, our biggest update comes from the Blockstack team, saying that with the adoption of a fully developed version of the Stacks blockchain, which is anticipated at the end of 2020 or the beginning of 2021, as they say, it means that Blockstack will, quote, play a significantly reduced role in the Stacks blockchain ecosystem and no longer will have the ability to, among other things, unilaterally make changes to the Stacks blockchain, issue new Stacks tokens or otherwise, control or even necess necessarily influence the development of the Stacks blockchain 2.0. According to Mark Marco Santori, who's the chief legal officer for Kraken Exchange, which is a leading cryptocurrency exchange, this might be enough to reach the level of sufficient decentralization, as noted in the offering docs. He notes specifically that, quote, this would represent the first ever transmogrification of a token from a security to a non-security, where the journey was explicitly blessed by the SEC, end quote. So it seems like the SEC will have the final say here on whether this is going to be allowed, but it is important to remember that while Blockstack did in fact complete a Reg A Plus tokenized offering, we are still waiting for our first Reg A Plus security token offering that actually represents an underlying asset like equity, real estate, or an investment fund. So setting the stage there, Herwig, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on what's going on here. 
yeah, this is definitely tricky. And this is where I definitely need to remind our wonderful listeners that I am not an attorney, but I think we can stem on a lot of the guidance from last week's no action letter from the SEC on VCoin. So for those of you who you know missed last week's episode, I had brought up that an issuer, IMVU, they call themselves a social media avatar company, would receive no enforcement from the SEC for their VCoin, given that it will not be a security. However, it will not you know, be a security so long that it followed a list of rules, which is you know way too long for me to repeat. So go listen to last week's episode if you're curious. But my take on this, as the SEC still has the final say on what is decentralized, is not, it's not block stack. So that I think is the most important thing for you know uh, advice to be able to say that they are fully decentralized. I think only the SEC can truly say that. And I'm not sure it's a step in the right direction. I mean, for one, we saw last week that the VCoin needed to remain available in unlimited supply and not have any type of appreciation potential. So that's a red flag right there that if Blockstack the issuer, you know, can't control. On the other hand, the very point is that Blockstack can't control it and therefore it is decentralized and it's kind of the argument that they're making and it's hard to poke holes in that given that we've seen several examples now like Uniswap and Compound create DAOs and decentralized protocols that they no longer control without at least so far to date have not been hit by the SEC for operating or issuing securities. Now, of course, that could totally change tomorrow, Kyle, which is why this move is certainly a bold one. And we know that Blockstack spent $2 million on attorney's fees alone just for their Reg A Plus offering. So they're certainly spending a lot on legal right now, I'm sure, to make it you know legal that they're able to do this. But that's my take. And unfortunately, I really don't have a good answer as to if I think they are in the clear or not with this. It's fascinating. They're certainly taking a bold move here. But as you said, they've got a big legal budget they raised i think it was like 30 million from the reg a plus so they certainly have a war chest to, to make this work and um you know we appreciate your context there Herwig. i know that, that you bring a lot to the table there and so we'll see how it plays out i mean it seems like the sec is kind of sort of being called out here in a way um so we'll see how they respond but anyway let's move into our newest security token offerings that have been announced over the last week and the first one that I'm going to cover here for this week's segment is a novel and fascinating use case around tokenizing a cattle farm. And so the Bolivian cattle ranch La Pradera is being tokenized to finance its operations, launching the Finca Security Token, F-I-N-K-A, an ERC-20 representing an area of 3,000 hectares and currently has about 4,000 cattle on the property. So La Pradera is owned by a Swiss company, Finca, which registered in the Crypto Valley of Zug, Switzerland, which is quickly becoming a hotspot for security token activity. And the planned financing strategy for the fundraise is to expand operations and raise the number of cattle to 20 to 30,000 individuals, according to the founder, Fernandez Mazi. Since you can't actually own the livestock Specifically, the token represents the equity in the business of selling the cattle as livestock and also has a claim to the underlying property owned by the ranch. According to the firm, the expected returns on this asset are between 4 to 8% per year, and the firm is raising up to $9 million in funding. So you can check out more information at finka.ch, and U.S. investors are excluded, and there are some other jurisdictions that cannot participate either, but most of Europe and Asia are able to invest, so go check that one out if you're eligible. And I think this is just a really interesting opportunity to invest in um, or just to even research. It's fascinating to see productive businesses that are understanding the accessibility of investment for their businesses through security tokens. And it's great to see novel use cases. So I look forward to many updates soon. 
the next STO that we have is going to sound very familiar, and that's because we're talking about Spice VC. The venture fund recently announced the initiation of its second tokenized fundraise, this time leveraging the Black Manta Capital fundraising platform. You may recognize the name Spice VC, which was launched by Carlos Domingo and team in 2017, seeking to invest in blockchain technology and security tokens. Following a successful fundraise, they actually spun out the in-house issuance platform, which launched Securitize, which is a leading security token issuance platform based here in Miami, Florida. Spice VC tokens are now listed on Open Finance and Fusang Exchange, among others, and they are now seeking to raise up to $100 million more to continue the growth of the fund. According to the Black Manta fundraising page, the value per token is selling at the current NAV of the Spice VC fund. So if you want to hear more about what the NAV value of a fund is and how that can affect the trading price, definitely check out the main topic of episode 52. But it is interesting because currently the Spice VC tokens are trading at a significant discount to that NAV value on a platform like Open Finance. So there's a bit of an arbitrage opportunity there. In addition, I also noticed the investment breakdown for the new fundraise, which consists of around 80% in equity of businesses that they're planning to invest in, 9% in cash, presumably for burn rate, things like that, and then nearly 7% into security tokens. So it looks like they're going to be immediately one of the more active security token investors in the industry, which is tremendous for many of the issuers that are looking for a lead investor to provide that needed bridge financing to advertise and scale their fundraising efforts. So best of luck to Spice VC on the fundraise, and I certainly will keep you updated with any more information that I can find from their end. Moving on to another familiar issuer, Realty has announced two new properties that went live on their platform this week. This is only the beginning for the company, which announced on its company call this week that they will be launching 20 properties in the next 20 days. That will bring their total tokenized properties to well over 50 and a market cap close to 5 to 10 million in assets once it all is said and done. Truly fantastic work going on from South Florida because they are also based in the area. As we dive into the two new properties since their newest announcement, we have two more Detroit properties. The first one is Monte Vista Street, a single-family home paying 11% in rental income. The property is 1,400 square feet and has a market cap of around 60000 The second property, Manor Street, is a fully rented duplex with a market value of 77000 netting investors almost 12% in rental income. Neither of these properties are afforded the protection of the Section 8 housing where the government provides assistance to the property owner if the rental defaults, so these properties are not as secured as some of the other offerings that Realty has issued in the past. However, 12% return and an incredibly strong track record at this point is still a strong sign of success for the company. That and the fact that it seems like every property sells out following their release from their community is a strong sign for the company. Our final security token offering announcement comes from an EV Biologics Corporation, which is a penny stock traded on the OTC markets that announced that it has signed a funding agreement with an investment bank to sponsor the raise of 25 to 50 million to fund the research and development for acute lung injury via security token offering. So the company is selling shares of the intellectual property around the treatments that they develop for ALI, thus allowing investors to participate in a specific business vertical of the company while allowing the business the flexibility to avoid diluting its current equity shareholders. Other terms of this deal are likely behind an NDA as they seem to be taking a very institutional approach to the fundraise, but it is very exciting to see yet another interesting opportunity presented via security token fundraising. Congratulations and best of luck to uh, EV Biologics Corp.
Moving into the final news segment before we dive into the market review and main topic, we have a few exchange and market commentaries to cover. The first is from North Capital, which announced the first three users of its blockchain-based ATS. In a Forbes interview with CEO James Dowd, he confirmed that North Capital is working on a Reg A Plus fundraising project with Atlanta-based multi-billion dollar real estate group Jamestown. He also confirmed they're working on a few options for a group called Rich Uncles, which is one of the earliest entrants into the real estate crowdfunding space, and so it's great to see them still working in the industry. He didn't give much detail on those two offerings for Rich Uncles, but it is great to confirm they have a very institutional network through North Capital and maybe bringing new deals to market that the general public wasn't totally aware of up until these announcements. The other piece of info included in the interview that I thought was relevant to note were a few metrics from North Capital's current business in which James Dowd notes that his firm has done nearly 1,100 separate fund or capital raises with over 70,000 investors involved in those deals, clearing close to $2 billion in total funds raised to date. So that's very impressive and exciting for their security token clientele. Then we move on to the upcoming Security Token Exchange and this episode's sponsor, INX, who brought interesting news to market this week, announcing that it has signed a letter of intent with Diamond Standard to list the world's first diamond commodity, the Diamond Standard coin. This tokenized asset represents a standardized set of diamonds, enabling it to trade in the future as a token on the INX trading platform. The token is still pending regulatory authority approval for the 25 million initial public commodity offering. And so the teams haven't been full terms, I'm sorry, haven't fully been established at the time, but you can definitely expect more information in the future about this offering. And it's very interesting tokenized commodities. They're coming. And the final market update comes from Security Token Market, who published their November 2020 market report. If you've been listening to the show each week, some of the numbers shouldn't surprise you, but you can check that out to get more information about how the November performance has been doing. Certainly, I'm sure you've caught it all here on the podcast. Moving into the market segment, we have the market cap, which closed November at $449 million, which is down 10% from October. The total volume closed at $2.6 million, down almost 50% from October and about 10% of all-time highs this summer. However, despite the weak performance from the general market, Realty's real estate properties continue to thrive, with the market report noting that the top three performing assets this month were all Realty, with Patton up 20%, Autobahn up 19%, and Appaline 18276 Appaline, that is, there's two of them, that one was up 15%. The other interesting tidbit to note was that we had some activity from some less active tokens, including Merges Equity Token and Startup Bootcamp's SBC token listed on N Exchange in Amsterdam. And finally, we added one new token this month, which was IN. I am Innovation Lab, which listed a very small portion of its cap table onto the Uniswap exchange using the Mount Pelerin issuance platform. So for more detailed information, you got to check out the report. And on top of that, you can expect a qualitative analysis next week from me. And we're also rolling out our first month of a real estate specific market report, which is going to launch on Monday. So plenty of great content on the horizon. And moving into the actual market update from this week, that's the first week of December, we had our total market cap. It was honestly a horrible week for the secondary market. We were down 15% 
going under 400 million for the first time that has dipped below that mark since August. So unsurprisingly, this downturn in the market was led by our market leaders, T0 and Overstock. And while the Overstock tokenized shares were down 18%, the public stock was also down pretty big, which softens the blow. I think the big disappointment this week was T0, which was down 28% this week alone. Not to mention that the T0 shares were down 38% last month that I just compiled for my market report. So this token is really struggling right now. We're back in the same boat as we were at the beginning of the year where it feels like there's not much real demand for any of these assets that are currently trading on the platform and everyone has been scratching their heads at why T0 cannot find a way to list any new issuers. Hopefully they can make some progress on that front soon because they do have a really strong network. While it was a quiet week for most of the industry, real estate continues to bear the load. The average property was up 8 0.16% this week with Marlowe Street up 20% and two others that were up double digits along with full green marks across all nine properties from Realty currently listed on Uniswap. What I find very interesting is that these assets hold a very stable price over the long term. Like anytime there's a significant sell-off that dampens the price, these assets immediately pop back up to their what seems to be fair market value. Over the full 12 months of the year, all of these properties are trading above their initial market price with some in the single digits and others actually in double. The demand for a consistent cash flowing asset with additional equity value has been clearly demonstrated and it's very cool to see private market liquidity at work. It really is, Kyle. I mean, those are some interesting findings once again. Of course, T0 still holds most of the market share and trading volume due to its expansive institutional broker network, right? And its permeation in, into the traditional financial markets. But we're really seeing that this is competitive advantage isn't necessarily enough to hold the demand of the market, right? I mean, that's one of the biggest swings we've seen in the market movement week over week. So this is also a good segue into our main topic, I think, because centralized liquidity, liquidity solutions, they're, they're not the only option out there. So today, we wanna cover for our main topic, automated market makers and decentralized exchanges for security tokens. Shall we dive in, Kyle? Absolutely. So when we mention the term decentralized exchange, I'm really referencing a platform to exchange two assets without a centralized party facilitating the transaction. There are many reasons why a centralized party has been crucial to this process in the past, including compliance enforcement, listing management, or issuer due diligence, but many of these traditional roles that an exchange plays can be automated through smart contracts instead of requiring manual intervention. I mean, we've definitely covered many of those features and the benefits of smart contracts across a whole range of episodes in the podcast. So if you'd like to learn more about these, you know, about how those things change with the blockchain, smart contract technology, go back and, and listen to those main topic clips. But on top of those things, which are being gradually phased out through smart contracts, decentralized exchanges handle asset demand much differently than traditional exchanges, right, Kyle? Yeah, so that's where we're going to begin the discussion today because you see a traditional centralized exchange operates an order book where buyers and sellers essentially post their highest and lowest prices that they're willing to pay for a certain asset. This order book, which is filled with those buy orders and the sell orders, is then matched by the exchange so that an order can be filled. Then either the exchange or one of its market making partners can pocket the difference in the buy and sell price known as the bid ask spread to make a fee on the transaction. While well, this process can be recreated in a decentralized exchange, it has inherent flaws in addition to new problems when bringing the system on chain. For starters, this process is very reliant on those market makers to fill liquidity for each trading asset. Without many financial liquidity partners, an exchange would become immediately illiquid and therefore irrelevant. 
Because of this, market making is very expensive and results in heavy fees and a poor user experience. On top of that, market makers constantly adjust their bid-ask spread to account for changing order books, and with a rigid price structure of the order book, many transactions are canceled by users who are either unsatisfied with the delays in filling their order or due to not finding the price that they were seeking. So now if we take this process on chain where each transaction has a corresponding gas fee and a set amount of transactions that can actually only be approved in any given time, this process can very easily result in clogged networks that don't work for anyone at all like we've seen in multiple times in the past. So this is you know, an inefficient process and it's only compounded by blockchain technology leveraged by security tokens in this case. But I also suppose it's only been a matter of time for these changes to take place. However, in order to change the minds of traditional users and institutions, more importantly, the promise of future change or innovation is not, usually it's not enough to drive adoption. So in the context of exchanges, in order to kind of sway the tide of public opinion, quantified through trading volumes on centralized exchanges versus decentralized exchanges, let's say, these new blockchain-based exchanges needed to develop a system that capitalized on the opportunity to improve the user experience while reducing the fees, but most importantly, improving inherent liquidity without, of course, relying on third-party market makers. And that's our perfect transition into automated market makers, known as AMMs, that are leveraged by exchanges like Uniswap, Balancer, or Curve. Each of these exchanges use a concept known as a liquidity pool to fuel trading on the platform, and then they use slightly different algorithmically determined price functions to adjust the price of an asset to reflect changing demand. So to review liquidity pools in more detail, I would definitely suggest going back to listen to the main topic of episode 64, where we break it down in much more detail. But in summary, asset holders would be incentivized to stake their security tokens into a protocol alongside a base currency like USD or Ethereum, and their own staked funds represent the counterparty to any trade of a given asset. In exchange for putting up the capital and risking that in the protocol, they're rewarded with trading fees proportional to how much of the pool they contributed. So when we use that idea of a liquidity pool and look at Uniswap, they're certainly best known for taking advantage of this and they use a constant product market making function which acts to balance the supply of both of those assets in a liquidity pool by adjusting the price. In Uniswap's case, it aims to hold the supply of the two assets the same and then will asymptotically adjust the price as the size of the bid increases. This allows Uniswap to fill pretty much any order without issue, but the buyer doesn't necessarily be able to guarantee their price per unit on a given trade. Okay, so let me summarize that point for our audience in an example. If I want to buy 100 shares of a real estate property on Uniswap, my price per share will increase with each additional share that I purchase. In this way, I can be sure that if I really wanted 100, I will be able to get it, but I can't exactly guarantee the price that I will pay. In this way, you know, I also don't have to sit there and wait for my specific price demand to be filled in the same way that I would on a traditional exchange. On top of that, since it's determined by a price function and not an arbitrary bid-ask spread, uh, you know, bid-ask spread, sorry, said by a market maker, I don't have to pay that pass-through fee, right? There's no more middleman that I have to worry about in this non-centralized solution. Exactly, so the ratio of tokens in a liquidity pool dictates the price of the trading pair. As you buy 100 of those real estate tokens from an Ethereum pool, you're effectively removing that supply in real estate and then adding it to the supply of Ethereum, therefore reducing the price of Ethereum as supply increases and increasing the, the price of real estate as that supply decreases. 
the amount of the price change is solely dependent on the size of the trade in proportion to the size of the total pool, right? Because the bigger the liquidity pool, the smaller the change in price because it doesn't matter that you only bought a couple shares. Whereas if you bought a ton of the shares of the total liquidity, clearly that's going to cause a bigger change in price and those price changes would be known as slippage. Right, so I think that all makes sense. So Kyle, why don't you tell our listeners, what are the differences between what Uniswap has done with its constant product market maker and what say, you know, Curve or Balancer has done with their iterated automated, yeah, iterated automated market maker functions, right? Yeah, there's a lot of jargon here, (laughs) for sure. So Uniswap really pioneered this model in 2018 and it rose to prominence during the DeFi summer this year, but there were some clear improvements that could be made in order to improve on the user experience. For example, as we described in the Uniswap liquidity function, the algorithm strives to maintain a 50-50 reserve ratio between two assets, right? So you have the same amount of the two things in a pool because in theory, if we force any liquidity provider to put in a 50-50 ratio from the start, and after a given time, the ratio has skewed really strongly in favor of one asset versus another, that would be a pretty strong signal that suggests that the current exchange price hasn't found an equilibrium, right? It sounds like that's imbalanced, that the price is wrong. You need to change that price. And so while this is generally a very strong conclusion to make, it doesn't always tell the whole story. So while Uniswap just had it apply for every token, every asset, that same pricing function that changes, Curve realized that one glaring exception was for assets with very similar prices, most notably with stable coins. So you see the demand for stable coins has absolutely exploded in the last 18 months. As we've noted both on the show and various research articles posted by the security token advisors team. And with these assets, the exchange price of one US dollar denominated stable coin to another realistically shouldn't change very much because they're both stable coins for US dollars. It doesn't, re- it doesn't matter regardless of the changing supply of the liquidity pool. So maybe a few cents or whatever due to increased adoption of one or another, but it definitely should not become exponentially different as long as you trust that both assets are really worth $1. Therefore, to solve for this pricing function improperly balancing the, the prices of two stable coins on Uniswap, Curve created a specific algorithm, which was a hybrid of that constant product algorithm and a separate function known as a constant sum algorithm that leverages an amplification coefficient that adjusts the price change to allow for more cushion as the supply of one asset or another changes, which essentially prevents those huge swing in prices between two assets as long as the the ratio isn't too skewed. So the price is still going to adjust, but for the most part, not as much. Now, that's good in theory, but not always in practice, right? So due to change in demands, of course, for specific stable coins due to the integration of the blockchain that they were built on, for example, significant supply shocks did actually happen. And in this case, the price still went way out of ratio, enabling savvy investors to capitalize on these arbitrage opportunities between two similarly priced assets. It's also another way of saying yield farming. And Curve was one of those main platforms allowing users to take advantage of this phenomenon. It's also a part of the design though, and as these functions rely on arbitrage opportunities in competitive markets to bring the prices back to equilibrium. So if the price is out of whack, then you can be sure that traders will take advantage of it, quickly closing that price discrepancy and bringing it back to where it should be. 
Then, to add to the efficiency of liquidity pools beyond basic strategies employed by Uniswap and Curve, Balancer pioneered the idea of multi-token liquidity pools, enabling up to eight assets to be locked into a specific liquidity pool that actually adds more stability to the pool by adding less correlated assets to prevent against the liquidity crunch due to the price shock of one of the two assets in the pool. Aha, uh -huh. so Balancer actually here realized that when there is an asymmetric demand, it can crash the price of one asset. And so when that same asset that just crashed represents 50% of the liquidity of the trading pair, it of course crushes the liquidity too, resulting in even less liquidity and lower prices in a compounding manner, if you will. So the lack of diversification of the pool here created a concentration risk. Exactly. And so what they created is known as the constant mean market maker, which takes the mean of all of those different assets, that's where you get it, and allows for the liquidity of prices of assets to be dictated by the general market in a, in a better way and allows the function to draw on outside factors to determine the proper exchange rate for given assets. So all these variations are fascinating and are constantly iterating on each other in the current order book model that was established by traditional exchanges way back in the day. So no matter which function you use, they reduce fees, they can improve liquidity in some cases and reduce market cornering opportunities that are sometimes seen by market makers that can control the whole supply and then dictate what the price is. But like you said in the beginning of the episode, Kyle, none of that matters unless you can drive the liquidity and adoption of the technology itself. So while these are all innovative developments, sometimes the more basic solutions are the ones that end up being favored by the market, which explains still why Uniswap is king of the DeFi jungle, at least for the time being due to its size. And we'll see if they keep it up and, you know, and any of all these programmatic pricing functions can compete at the highest levels of finance here. Yeah, that's something still to be seen, whether these, these automated market maker functions can, can really truly replace the traditional market makers or if they'll always kind of be second place. But that's all we got for you today. So this was a breakdown on automated market makers and how they work with decentralized exchanges. And if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me or Herwig on Twitter or LinkedIn for more information, questions, comments, or concerns. And as always, we post our main topic clips on YouTube so you can go back and review any of these concepts we've covered in the past anytime. And also, don't forget to submit any news or events to stomarket.com news, and you may just get it covered on next week's episode. So thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. Talk to you next week on Tuesday. <laughs>